You're listening to Deal Talk with 7MA, providing invaluable insight into investment banking and the M&A space through honest conversations with industry thought leaders, business pioneers, and innovators. We'll pull back the curtain and give you the inside scoop on trends in our targeted industries and provide you the tools to better position your company in today's market. Hello, I'm Leroy Davis with Seven Mile Advisors. Welcome to Deal Talk. Pleased to be here with a former work colleague and friend, Alex Robio, who's currently in Barcelona, Spain. And I'm also here with my Seven Mile colleague, Horacio Yenaropoulos, who's in who's Argentina now. Been looking forward to this conversation. I, I think the basic topic is, for starters, Alex is and was a very successful entrepreneur in the technology services space in Latin America. And as most of our listeners will already know, that's a region of the world where there's just a lot of interest, a lot of excitement, and a lot of momentum in the technology services space. So I think everyone will benefit from hearing Alex's experience and and story in that regard. And then Alex is a guy that does not let the grass grow under his feet. So he has definitely since moved on from that experience and is, and is working very closely with Endeavor. And Endeavor is a group that's fostering entrepreneurs and in LATAM and in other regions in the world. He's very involved in that. And I think we'd benefit from hearing what Endeavor is doing, how they assist entrepreneurs and Alex's role in all of that. So Alex, thank you very much for joining. Please introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Horacio. Hi, Leroy. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex Robio, and uh, I'm originally from Argentina, and uh, with my two co-founders, who happen to be my brother, Federico, and my dad, Luis, we co-founded Betatrix Software, a company that provided digital solutions and IT outsourcing services from Latin America, mostly to clients in the U.S., and we bootstrapped from literally zero all the way to having over 700 employees, delivery centers in and operations in five different countries, including Argentina, Peru, Colombia, sales offices in the Silicon Valley, New York, Florida, as well as operations in Spain. In 2019, we exited uh, with the help of uh, Seven Mile. We sold to Globant, one of the leading companies in, in the digital space, which also is a, is a public company. And I remained there for, for about a year and a half after working with uh, the digital marketing, as well as their M&A team, helping them identify companies in the digital marketing space. That was a great experience, but I realized that entrepreneurs don't always make great employees. So I left in January this year, and I've been, just like you mentioned, I've been working very closely with an organization that has been actually helped us from 2013 until we exited, which is Endeavor. I used to be a, an Endeavor entrepreneur. I became an Endeavor mentor, and I've been very closely working with them. Thank you, Alex. And I do want to hear more about how Endeavor helped you guys and and how currently in your capacity to Endeavor, you help entrepreneurs. Back to Bellatrix real quick, because as you know, Seven Miles very much involved. Horacio works for us and lives in Argentina. We're We're very much involved in the tech services industry in that space. And I know that Globant was definitely one of the first companies that we started tracking in that region. And I would also categorize Bellatrix as being pretty ahead of the curve in that regard, in that you guys started. What, what, do you, what year were you founded? We 
started a little before Lobant. So we started in 2002, but we bootstrapped 100%. And uh, looking back, maybe that wasn't the way of doing it, to do it. If you compare us to Lobant, maybe if we had uh, raised uh, funding, we would have bought Lobant and not them, us. But that's another story. <laughs> but but yeah, wasn't... we started in 2002. Yeah, and I was doing investment back in M&A back then, and I remember that. It wasn't entirely obvious, at least to me, and I would imagine to other people that that would be a good region to crank up an IT services company. What were you guys thinking when you did that? Like, what was the environment like when you did it? What was the mindset? Yeah, I remember, remember this is right after Y2K, so the 2000, you know, the year 2000 bug that India or the Indian vendors were so smart to tackle very early on. So they spent the 90s basically working very hard at this problem. They became really large in the IT outsourcing space. But I had moved to the US in 2001 and I started hearing a lot of the pain points that people were having in, in dealing with the time difference, sometimes the cultural aspect. So I knew that there was an opportunity in LATAM. Even though I, I studied psychology, I, I always uh, worked in the uh, software space. I became a developer myself. So I knew a lot of people in the IT sector, and I knew there was a lot of talent, uh, and it was fully untapped. There was actually pretty high unemployment in IT, which is, you know, now it's, you can't find unemployment anywhere uh, in IT in the world. But that, back then, there, there were a lot of really good people that really either were underemployed or, 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 or unemployed. So I knew that there was a very significant opportunity. But it was a tough, you know, tough challenge because Latin America was not seen as an option for, for IT services. And so it was an uphill battle in the beginning. And we had to prove ourselves, you know, really leverage word of mouth. But the value was significant. I mean, the, the, the cost were very competitive. The time zone overlap was very attractive. The quality of the engineers was top-notch. So once we got the clients, we retained them, we grew, they spoke to other clients, and, and that's how, how it happened. But yeah, the beginning, the, the early days were tough. We had to really position this idea of near shore, Latin America, and so on. And were you guys um, flying to the U.S. to win New business or just on the phone? Or how did you do that? That's a great question. You know, initially, personally, I was living in the U.S. I did travel a little bit very early on. And I think the being bootstrapped makes you creative because we didn't have a lot of money to spend in marketing and sales. So we got very good at servicing our clients fully remote. So we had all of our sales team for the first, I would say, you know, 15 years or so. Everything we did was remote. I was the only one in the U.S. We started growing the U.S. presence the last five years before we exited. But before that, it was all remote. So we had inside sales from Latin America, you know, salespeople that would maybe travel to the U.S. once a quarter. We also were very good at convincing clients to visit Latin America. So we initially, we had offices in Mendoza, Argentina. It's an attractive city. It's wine country. You know, it, it had a name. I mean, if anyone has tried Argentinian Malbec, there's a good chance that it came from Mendoza. So having an opportunity to go visit those wineries, good food, we got really good. It almost felt like we were a travel agency at times <laughs> because we were selling the experience sometimes more than the quality of our services. But it worked. You know, we got our clients to visit, even 
you know, large companies. We, you know, we had people visiting from all the way from Adobe to PwC to other companies. And, and, and that was very helpful because I, we were able to get their, get them on site, blow them away with the quality of our people, be very personal. My partners are amazing at a personal level. So, you know, being able to establish a personal relationship, taking these people out for great dinners, uh, going to wineries and so on. So that, that ended up being a, an advantage. I mean, the fact that we, we made such a big effort to have them visit really paid off, especially the first uh, few years. Okay. So fast forward to Endeavor. How did you meet the Endeavor group? What did they do? What did they do so, to assist you guys? Yeah, so quick intro of Endeavor, and then I'll talk a little bit about my personal experience as an Endeavor entrepreneur and, and, and their selection process. So Endeavor is a nonprofit. It was started by Linda Rottenberg and Peter Kellner around 1997. The story is that Linda used to travel a lot to Latin America, and particularly to Buenos Aires and also to Chile. She was always very impressed by the quality of the people she met, but she had a conversation that really kind of opened her mind to this idea, which was she, she was chatting with a taxi driver, and he said that he was an engineer. And she said, why are you driving a taxi? I mean, nothing wrong with it, but you know, you've, you've studied six, seven years. It's a tough major. Why are you driving the taxi? And he said, well, you know, I, I can't find a job. And she said, well, you know, you're an electronics engineer. You could start your own company. And the guy said, how do you do that? I, I don't I have no clue how do you do that. And so she, that stuck with her. She came back to New York, shared the experience with other people, and they came, came up with this idea of, let's do something. You know, let's raise some money. Let's see how we can support these uh, people in, in developing countries. There's a lot of tal- untapped talent that could have its huge potential social impact in those places. So that's how they got started. They, they raised some money. And then fast forward to now, there's over 2,000 entrepreneurs worldwide, over 40 global markets, including all the way from Argentina, five different cities in Argentina, three or four in Chile, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, all the way to Miami, Detroit, Tennessee, Jordan, Egypt. I mean, it's a global organization now. In fact, there's over 4 million jobs that have been created by these entrepreneurs, over $27 billion in revenue. So it's become a sizable uh, organization. Then their model is basically make entrepreneurs go through a very tough selection process. In fact, only 2 to 3% of the entrepreneurs that start the process get accepted into the organization, which is one third of Harvard's acceptance rate, which is at about 11%. So it's a very demanding process. And the once you're in, you get access to world-class mentors. Of course, your peers, you know, you have other over 2,000 entrepreneurs, which are all, which, you know, have all gone through this super selective process. They share values and they're always willing to help. And now the latest addition to all, all of that is you also are able to tap into funding because now Endeavor is running a VC within Endeavor, which helps to support Endeavor. So the, the money that Endeavor gets from that gets reinvested into to Endeavor itself. So it's been, a, and it also opens the door for other entrepreneurs to participate in that VC. So it's become a very nice, positive cycle. So that's Endeavor. In terms of our experience as Endeavor entrepreneurs, we had heard of Endeavor. You know, Endeavor is a very popular organization. But as an entrepreneur, you're always busy, you're trying to grow your company, and sometimes you're so busy that you don't realize 
that people could help you with the things that are keeping you busy. And uh, fortunately, my co-founder and, and, and father, he kept pushing that we should you know, take into consideration the idea of uh, joining Endeavor. We were not really paying attention until I got invited to one of their events, uh, one of their selection events in, in Miami. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I went there, uh, this is 2012, and the people I met, the bitches I heard, the mentors that I, that, I, that I met, you know, people that were really world-class, top partners at, you know, top firms, including Bain, you know, BCG, founders. I mean, it was an incredible environment. And so I came back from that and told my, my brother and father, we have to do it. it. No matter what it takes, how much effort it takes, let's do it. And so we started working on it. It took us a long time. The process is basically you go to a local panel in your country. And you pitch your company, pitch yourself basically as an entrepreneur. They try to assess your values. They try, they try to assess the viability of your company. They try to assess whether you're going to be a good member of the organization, if you're going to represent and really embody the values of the organization. That's a panel of four to six people, depending on the country. If they all vote for yes, which is tough in itself because it has to, everyone has to, even if there's a single vote against, you're out. Then you, if you get accepted locally, then you do the same internationally. So then you have to prepare again and go to an international panel. And that's a really tough one because that, that's when the A-team shows up. In our case, for example, we had Marco Galbrin, you know, the CEO and founder of Mercado Libre the largest publicly listed company in, in Latin right now, valued at almost $100 billion. They, by the way, were Endeavor entrepreneurs themselves, and they were supported by Endeavor in their early days. Senior partner from EY. The panel was uh, mind-blowing. And so just going through that helped us a lot. It really was a transformational moment for us. So Alex, how does the VC fund work? Is it uh, once you're in Endeavor, you could also be further evaluated to receive funds from the VC? Or is it that the Endeavor VC will invest in potentially any, any company, whether they're in an Endeavor or not? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the name of the fund is called Endeavor Catalyst. And it's open in terms of the limited partnership. It's open to Endeavor entrepreneurs, but also outside investors. So they, they have been taking money from, from outside the network as well. In terms of the investment uh, thesis, it's actually fairly simple and super smart, and that's why it's so successful. First of all, they only invest in your company if you're an, an Endeavor entrepreneur. So they know that it's, you're probably the top 2% of the people they assess. But secondly, they don't lead. So they always their approach is to put in about 10% of your round as long as a professional VC is uh, leading the round. So it's usually Series A, Series Bs, you know, and, and afterwards. But they come along with other lead investors. And, and it's worked out really well. They've had a tremendous success. In fact, the first fund had a cash of like 6.1x or so. So it was a super successful uh, fund. And the latest ones uh, are looking to be the same. I mean, there, there's so much going on not only in LATAM, but the globally, you know, you look at the success stories in Middle East and, and, uh, and other locations, and it's, it, it's, it's really, really exciting to see what's going on in this space. Yeah, the whole 
vetting system that Endeavor seems to have in place, as you mentioned, I don't remember the acceptance rate. Uh, I guess I think you said three percent. Two point nine. So, yeah, yeah. Two point nine percent. Uh, that whole vetting mechanism, having that on the front end of like a, and then further vetting from a investment like VC type perspective, that's a pretty good, pretty good idea. What are some of the tangible examples of ways Endeavor has assisted companies in LATAM? Or like, what what are some typical or, or some companies people may have heard of that they've, uh, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, Mercado Libre, maybe some yeah. others. One of the first major exits by a LATAM entrepreneur in the tech space was uh, Patagon. Patagon was a uh, financial portal started by Wences uh, Casares. And he was actually, I think, the first endeavor entrepreneur or one of the first ones. And he sold his company to Banco Santander for half a billion dollars, actually more than that. It was like uh, 700 or 600 million. Oh, and of course, he, you know, he stayed in the network. He started other companies. He mentors other people. So that's, for them, the success story is not just to have an entrepreneur that has an exit or even that's an APO. It's actually to continue the cycle. They have this idea of the mafia, just like you have the PayPal mafia that, you know, the, the founding team. They all went and started other companies. They invested in other entrepreneurs. They mentored other entrepreneurs. So you, you, you start this super positive cycle that keeps growing and growing and growing. And so that, that's what they do. Uh, another story is, you know, the company that acquired us, uh, super successful, Globant. They, they went public, they IPO'd. They were invested by uh, Catalyst as well, by Endeavor Catalyst. They were supported by Endeavor. They now have a, a market cap of over $10 billion. 14,000 employees, clients all over the world. And Mercado Libre, just like we spoke, you know, over almost $100 billion. They were also one of the first, uh, and they were entrepreneurs. They're very active in the space. A lot of their founding team members, even though they were not necessarily, and they were entrepreneurs, they were all very active in the network. And for example, in our case, I remember I, I got a mentorship from the guy that was running marketing for them early on, Nico Berman. And, you know, he was super inspiring and again, kind of pivotal moments when you're getting started to, you know, be able to have a conversation with, with someone like that. Going a little bit more globally here in Europe, I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm doing the call from, from uh, Spain. So that's why I say here, Glovo, uh, one of the largest food delivery companies in the world during they were entrepreneurs, Wallbox, which uh, uh, is going public soon through a, through a SPAC, and they do uh, a, a electric chargers for electric vehicles. They're taking the market by, by storm, you know, the charging market by storm. They're, they're an incredible story. Again, and they were entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of stories uh, worldwide, not only in Latin America, but, but globally. Yeah. So Alex, in our business at Seven Mile, we see everyday challenges that our clients face, particularly in the tech services space around scarcity resources, which is linked to uh, human resources, which is linked to education and training. And that's a global phenomena in this industry for sure, I think. And that's actually been a, uh, in some ways, a good fact for our business anyway, in that frequently larger companies need to acquire companies to obtain individuals properly trained and get to get scale, et cetera, and so forth. And technology changes all the time. So therefore, these smaller boutique niche firms start up and larger companies acquire them to 
obtain those capabilities. But nonetheless, shortage of human resources and well-trained individuals is an issue globally. And as it pertains to LATAM, in what ways does Endeavor get involved with companies and entrepreneurs to help them either deal with these challenges or just otherwise understand them so that they can begin to, to navigate these HR challenges, these training challenges, as well as the, you know, just financial resources? Well, I think that's where the beer-to-beer mentorship comes into play. Because, for example, my brother, he got really good at, on that side of, uh, you know, scaling up recruitment and, you know, how do you uh, do that globally? How do you do that at scale? How do you do that in a very competitive market and so on? And so he's been supporting a number of entrepreneurs in that space. So Endeavor itself maybe doesn't have like a practice or a solution, but the people within the network are resources that entrepreneurs can, can tap into and learn best practices and, and, and so on. So, so in that particular case, you know, I, I know if we had had an opportunity to, to chat, and we did late, you know, at a later stage once we joined Endeavor, but you know, we spent the first 11 years really fighting and struggling and so on. Once we joined the network, we were able to ask these types of questions. You know, you get an account manager, you say, hey, you know what I'm dealing with, I'm struggling with, you know, putting together the right uh, recruitment strategy and, and you know, I, I have no clue how to do that. Then they can identify someone in the network, be it a mentor, a consultant, or, or a peer endeavor entrepreneur. They can come in and say, you know, here are the 20 things that I tried and didn't work. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe try the two or three that work for me and see how that goes for you. And, and, and that's very powerful. Once you have the knowledge, you don't realize you have that knowledge. But once you're on the other side of that conversation, it's really eye-opening and, and it makes a super big difference. As an example, when we were setting up our professional services, management, client success, having an opportunity to speak with senior people at extending a lot of pain and, and, and time. What are some of the other challenges facing entrepreneurs in LATAM? I think there's a lot of challenges, actually. But maybe, maybe the fact that they have to deal with that on a daily basis makes them so much stronger. Their endurance, their grit, it's uh, quite amazing. You know, when you have, in certain cases, inflation, in other cases, you know, governments that, that are passing legislation overnight, or over weekends, actually, that's also very common in some of those places. It's a challenging environment, but having said all of that, I think it's very exciting to see that even in that environment, or maybe because of that environment, you have these greedy entrepreneurs that are projecting themselves globally because they know that their local environments are not, not a great place to do business in. And so, yes, they may be located in LATAM, maybe they have a significant part of their team in LATAM, but they're world-class and they're competing world-class. And now they were doing that effectively before. And now because of the pandemic, I think they're going to be able to do that even more effectively. You see it with funding. They're really, really getting a lot of traction with funding now. And because now, you know, if you're pitching, it doesn't matter if you're pitching from Silicon Valley, New York, or Buenos Aires. I mean, it's a Zoom call. And if you're good, you're going to get a chance to pitch. And if you're good, it's going to show and you're going to get your opportunity. I think that's a good point. I, I enjoy that aspect 
of our business and interacting with companies across the globe in regions like LATAM and other certainly other regions where sometimes there's maybe political instability or inflation or just some sort of turmoil going on, but yet the nature of uh, technology and technology services is such that individuals and companies and entrepreneurs, et cetera, can just through, as you put it, through their own grit and will just sort of overcome all this stuff and succeed and thrive in spite of these obstacles. If you look at a company like Mercado Libre, Compared to an Amazon, you know, Amazon, you know, they, they were, or even an eBay, of course they had challenges and so on. But you see what uh, Galperin and, and, and his team has to deal with on a daily basis, and they do it and they scale it up and they, they continue succeeding. They, they continue creating a ton of value. They move into other spaces and now they're moving into payments. I mean, it, it's incredible. And it's not because it's an easy environment. Maybe it's, or maybe it is, you know, it, it's prepared them so well. <laughs> for that fight that maybe any, anybody else, you know, they, they, they've been attempts by eBay and other companies to grow in LATAM and they haven't been able to. And these guys just keep rocking. So, you know, there's something to it. What do you think are the primary things? And we may have covered this already to some extent, but to the extent we haven't, what are, what are some of the things that are attracting investors to LATAM in the region? Like what are the major attributes of the region that are drawing all this recent attention? I think there's a little bit of fear of missing out, to be honest, which is good. Not complaining. Keep it coming. But I think the fact that now you have these companies that we've been talking about getting recognition, getting super high valuations, people want to repeat that story. And I think it is, it's a smart thing to do. For VC to have been ignoring a market of over 650 million people with a very large and growing middle class and a large portion of their population that is, you know, has really good access to communications, you know, good bandwidth, cell phones. Uh, I think that was silly. They were, they were really missing out. If you look at banks, for example, they, they have figured it out. LATAM and, for example, Argentina in particular, has been very profitable for banks, traditional banks. So I think it was just a matter of time that other parts of the financial ecosystem realize that there were opportunities and, and they have, fortunately. And there's a lot of really good success stories. Uh, in fact, today I was reading a post by uh, SoftBank that in just two years, they have invested, they have deployed over $3.5 billion in LATAM in 48 companies that are worth more than $6.9 billion. So in two years, they've doubled their investment already. I mean, if SoftBank is going and publicly saying that, that's going to get the attention of you know, other VCs and private equities and so on. So I'm super excited about that. You know, Endeavor feels to me like an organization that's about a little bit more than just, hey, what's your HR function scaling? Hey, how can you build out the platform of your business in such a way that you can grow? It feels like it, there is a little bit more value orientation going on there, a little bit, a little bit more like long-term thinking and kind of the almost vocation orientation as opposed to simply, as you mentioned, um, it's great that there's a cash on cash return of 6X and, and that's fantastic. But it feels like there's a little bit more going on there. Is that, am I reading that? Absolutely, correctly? absolutely. One of the criterias that, you know, I've been in a number of selection panels. One of the criterias that always gets a very deep look 
is this person's values aligned with our, our organization. And remember, it's other entrepreneurs that are participating in that uh, selection. It's other mentors that are participating. So we want to make sure that we keep the network clean and reflecting those uh, values. And in fact, there's a bit of due diligence that goes into it. When you're going through your local selection panel, your local Endeavor team gets tasks with chatting with your employees, uh, asking around, you know, how is this person, you know, have you heard anything bad about them? Do they pay their people well? Uh, you know, do they have any issues with uh, taxes? Are they doing anything you know, funky with their taxes, with their accounting, finance, et cetera? And I've actually met entrepreneurs that are economically successful and they self-select out of the network because they know that that's an aspect that we pay so much attention to. So they know that they're they're not completely clean in their financials. They're not completely clean in the way they treat their employees, or maybe they're they're not necessarily uh, payrolling people when they should. Things of that nature. They they self they decline from the process because they know that they're not going to get accepted. So that's absolutely we we want to make sure that we have people that reflect those values. And the other part is being not only willing but happy to help your peers. That's the other aspect. Is it can be one way. It can be I take all of this advice and you know I get all this value. Thank you so much. I grow my company. I'm super successful. No, that's not the plan. The plan is you know paid forward. So it's you know select, support, scale up, maybe exit. If not, grow, uh, get successful, get profitable, invest in your peers, uh, help your peers, mentor them, be an inspiration. Go and talk to young people, talk, talk about your experience, inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. So that's what we want. And hopefully that's what we reflect. Well, I've known you for a while and, and I think it's a good place for you then because I think you um, embody a lot of those characteristics. I don't say that lightly. We're almost out of time. And, I, and I'd just like to close with the following. It's kind of consistent with what I was just saying. You are an impressive individual. I'm, I'm very grateful to, to call you a friend and business colleague. When I think about you, Alex, and what you guys, with you and what you've accomplished at Bellatrix and, and now at Endeavor, the following things stand, stand out to me. Number one, yes, as I referred to earlier, you guys are kind of a visionary in this whole, I think we can do this from LATAM thing. You guys were doing that during the time when it wasn't obvious to do that. I don't know if you were doing it because you had to do it because you didn't, couldn't get another job <laughs> or something you really job, loved. Exactly. What, I, I, I don't know, but you guys were there at that time and, and, and you did it. And that in and of itself is impressive. The second thing is, and I did, I was fortunate enough to spend some time with you and the rest of the Bellatrix team, who many of which were your family. You guys did it as kind of a family and business. And we have a lot of experiences with companies that are family owned. And I don't know of any or, or many, let's put it that way, that kind of got through all that and navigated what I know are just some, you know, weird issues with like working with your family members. And I was always impressed by your ability to do that. That's a whole nother discussion about how you, yeah, how you guys that, pulled that off. I don't, know how you, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. And you got to the end and everyone at least acted like they still liked each other. I don't know if that's- We still like each did. other. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. We, we, we still chat every single day. So, so yeah. yes, we still like each other. <laughs> yeah, it was impressive. And then the other thing is you individually, you always have a kind word. You're always encouraging. You take the time to encourage people. I know you've done that with me from like time to time and you'll, you'll do it. I'm like, man, and you kind of make me reflect on myself. I'm like, wow, I don't do that enough because this guy's pretty busy 
He's got a lot going on and he took the time to reach out and just add an encouraging word. And that makes a difference. And I think that's very consistent with the whole endeavor mentality, just helping and mentoring ship and giving back. It's nice to have you out there doing what you're doing. So keep doing it. Thank you very much for, well, for the time. I, I, and I probably you. couldn't be doing it and dedicating so much time if you guys had not been so successful in helping <laughs> me sell my company. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deal Talk with 7MA. You'll find more information and resources based on today's discussion exclusively on our website. If you're looking to dive deeper into today's topics, head to 7mileadvisors.com to speak to one of our bankers today. That's the number 7, M-I-L-E-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. 7M Securities does not make any investment recommendation for any company or security that was discussed, nor does the firm offer any tax advice. Consult your tax advisor for any tax matter that might apply to you or your business. 